As you remain standing, take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 2. We continue in the study of uh, the pastoral epistles and find ourselves uh, for the last several weeks in Titus chapter 2. And I'm, I'm so pleased, I'm always amazed, or I really shouldn't be, how that we get to a particular juncture like this and the Word of God just speaks to whatever it is that we're talking about wherever we are. And so we come upon this and on this Christmas Eve service, uh, the words Paul wrote to Titus uh, speak to us still today. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we'll read through the end and pull out several, you see it in your outline, several thoughts that uh, again dovetail with our emphasis today on Christmas Eve. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and you could insert the word training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Father, we thank you that our theme is Jesus. It always is every Sunday, hopefully every day. Our focal point is the gospel. Again, I hope it is every Sunday, and I pray that it is for us individually and as a body of believers called Heritage every day. And at no time should it be any more of a focus than it is today as we celebrate uh, in our homes, uh, individually perhaps, the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. But there is more, Lord. And in this passage, Paul tells Titus some things that we need to hear today so that we can be prepared when the day comes when He will once again appear to take us home. And so we pray that You give us a readiness of heart, open ears. I pray that You would block out any unnecessary distractions and help us to hear the Word. I pray that your Word would find its way into our heart, the innermost part of our being. It would lodge there, and then your Holy Spirit would even today begin to bring forth much fruit. And so we thank you for that. We believe that you can and that you will do that. And we pray it confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know that you've been waiting for Christmas to get here. In fact, this morning I uh, just went around and talked to a few people and asked, are you ready for Christmas? And I got a variety of answers. And uh, I, I love watching the children who are sometimes engaged in doing something else. And when I ask, are you ready? Are you glad that Christmas is here? They always look up and they smile and they say yes. Now, I hope for all of you adults, you've 
you've gotten everything. I hope that if you haven't gotten everything, that the Amazon driver will get to your place before it's everlastingly too late. Even tonight, maybe tomorrow morning early, I don't know. But that you will have a really blessed Christmas. God's people are awaiting people. I was given a wonderful devotional book earlier, and I've been thumbing through that book. Um, supposed to start well before Christmas, so I'm going to start next year and, and get all the way through it. But I've been thumbing through that book, and I, I love the first article because the, the author of the book, Jonathan Gibson, says this, and I believe that it is true. He says, as early as Eden... That's the Garden of Eden. God's people have been a waiting people. Following the fall of our first parents, God made a promise that permanently oriented His people toward the future. When He said to the serpent directly and to Adam and Eve, the guilty pair indirectly, He made this promise, a messianic promise, I will put hostility, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It was, in short, the author says, the promise of a coming, conquering son. The promise encapsulated every promise in the Old Testament and as such shaped God's people into a waiting people. And so for the next 4,000 years, give or take, God's people awaited for the fulfillment, at least the first fulfillment of that. Sometimes I'm sure that people like we do today, sometimes we, we get antsy, we get anxious. The, the answer doesn't come when we think it should come, but every time you need to know we go back to the study of Esther that we had, everything is working according to God's plan, and everything, everything will happen in just the right time. And that's the way it was with the birth of Jesus. The Father was waiting for the fullness of time. And again, I'll bet a lot of people were saying, oh, the, the time couldn't get any fuller. Look around, God. I think some of you are saying that about His second coming even right now. But it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. This is important, born under the law, which He never broke and He always kept. Those two things are vitally important to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. So our study of Titus, as I said a few moments ago, brings us to this place. I read it just right then, and it talks about the appearings. And so we're going to look, and you see three different points. That's not just a preacher's convention, the way of, of doing things, but it really lends itself so that today, out of this passage of Scripture, we can pull meanings that look back to that event that we celebrate tomorrow, it will also look at another event that happened at the end of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are, 
These are defining events, folks. And then another event that we really, at Christmas time, I, I just don't think it's on our minds, and it needs to be. I don't think I really saw the significance of all three being a part of our worship of the Lord Jesus at this time of year until the study that I did for this passage of Scripture. And so I want you to write three C words, okay? Write them. You got your pen. If you're taking notes, you can write them or you can just remember them. The three C words that go with your outline. We're going to talk about, first of all, this is very simple, but very needful. The three C words to help you remember them. I believe my granddaughters will remember that because we talked about it yesterday. And the first one that we'll talk about is the cradle. It's the first C word. We're going to talk about the cradle. Why did Jesus come to earth like this? What was the significance, incredible significance that we're going to miss? if we don't really go back to Scripture. So the first C word is the cradle. The next one that goes with point number two is, can anybody guess it? That's right, it's the cross. Okay, first the cradle and then the cross. We're going to get to that in just a minute. And then, again, even if at Christmas time sometimes you, you pull in that particular event as a part, the outworking of the birth of Christ was obviously the cross of Christ. We'll be looking at that as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. But there is another event that, that Paul tells Titus about right here. We need to remember this event. In fact, this, this really lifts, should lift in our thinking, in our preparation what we see as the work of Jesus Christ. It's not over. And so you've got the cradle, you've got the cross. Guess what the third C word is? That's right, the coming. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's appropriate that at this time of year, we meditate on all of those. First point, all right? For the grace of God has appeared. Now, we've already gone back in previous sermons, and we've defined for you what grace is. So I'm not going to go back and, and reiterate all of this, but the appearance of God, the cradle of God, what is the word that, that captures the significance of all of this? In the past, when Jesus came, it's the word incarnation. Incarnation. The word appearing in this passage, by the way, this entire 11 through 14 is all one sentence. Paul just kind of runs it together. And the word appearing, now, we get our word from that Greek. It's translated as appearing, but we get our word epiphany from that. And you think this is not a Christmas text? So his appearing is mentioned twice. It means a shining forth. It's a, it's a metaphor for the rising of the sun when the sun first begins to peak over. And, or, or it could be a metaphor for a hero suddenly stepping into a hopeless situation to rescue people from danger. And I want to show you how that the Old Testament and then linking to the New Testament, we're going to look at some supporting scriptures today. And I think it would be significant for you to write these down and at least 
meditate on them because this, the appearing, the epiphany, that first appearing, the, the, the cradle, actually it, it's a manger. It, it would have been nice if it had been a cradle or a crib. It was a dirty old manger that he was laid in. But, let's look at that. But for you who fear my name, this is an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Jesus from Malachi, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, now we jump to Luke to show the fulfillment of this, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, I, I went back and, and looked at the, the, the source material very carefully. And this, this event that changed the world, all, all three are world changers, but this event that changed the world was really, when you think about it, it was pretty quiet and it was subdued. And, and you've heard stories about if, if Hollywood had been doing this, Jesus would have been born in, in a great mansion and with all kinds of fanfare. And you've you got to realize, yeah, there, there was a chorus of angels that, that night. There was. But there was really only one angel who came to announce to a relatively, I'm guessing, small group of shepherds, of nobodies. Now, again, the angelic chorus kicked in, but essentially what we see is the shepherds say, oh, we, we've got to go, and we've got to see this thing. A light was turned on, we saw it prophesied, and it was here, but, but our thoughts are, are, are really captured by songs uh, that, that we sing at this time of year, silent night, it, it really was, holy night. All is calm, all is bright, or away in the manger. No crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. And we sing the sentimental songs, but really it was subdued. Now let, let me just say this. That Jesus came should not have been a surprise to anyone. Now, I'm speaking of the Jewish people. There, there were so many. There, there are estimated to be somewhere between, depending on who's counting, 300 and almost 600 prophecies in the Old Testament that predict the Messiah. And there are at least seven, and I'm talking about extremely pointed, razor-sharp prophecies about the person of Jesus Christ, His birth, being the son of David, born to a virgin, born in Bethlehem, later on the slaughter of the infants. Do you know that's prophesied? Carried out in horrible detail, being called out of Egypt, being a Nazarene, the messenger, John the Baptist, his cousin to prepare the way, the star and the God, 
gospel. Uh, all of those things were prophesied. And so it shouldn't have been a surprise. Now, I said the, that it happened shouldn't be a surprise, but how it happened blew everybody's mind, and it still does. I mentioned a word a minute ago. We hear it. We, we throw it around, and, and we talk about it, and we should. But I don't know that for sure, I, me, this side of eternity, and maybe into eternity, I don't think we're going to grasp the depth of what this word means, incarnation, incarnate, God in flesh, where God, think about this, we're talking about the Creator God who's bigger than the universe. That's why that quote by C.S. Lewis grabbed my attention, the very first quote. Did that grab your attention? A stable once held something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Our Creator God wrapped Himself in human skin and became what He was and is, true God, but He became true man to defeat our enemies and create for Himself a new people for His glory. And so what should your posture be as you think about that? Now, by the way, uh, dads, granddads, whoever is the head of the household tomorrow, when you begin to open your, your gifts, somehow stop and pray. And You may not think of yourself as eloquent or anything like that, but just stop and remind your family that this is what it's all about. You can look at the presents, and they're kind of a visible symbol. God giving us the greatest present when He wrapped Himself in human skin, and He came to earth as a baby. So what's your, your posture to be in light of all of that? And please remind your kids and your grandkids about this. Worship. Worship. So at the very minimum, just stop and say a prayer, a prayer of worship for that. And I'll pray with you that somehow it will cook in, in the hearts of your kids and grandkids, and they're going to hear that and see that. So that's the first movement, the cradle. Let's, move, let's go to the second one, bringing salvation for all people. He gave Himself for us. I've kind of split this up, but I want to emphasize this second movement because this happens at the end of the, the earthly life of the Lord Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. The assurance and the appearance of grace is that He has brought salvation and redemption through the cross. So it's, it's a past event like the cradle, that we look to and it has continuing results. And so again, you, you know that Christmas, I hope, I hope you're not going to end with the child in the cradle. That's where most Hallmark movies end. That's where Charlie Brown Christmas ends. They talk about the birth of Christ and you know, we've talked about this, again, being gospel-centered, the gospel of Christ, Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised on the third day. So we've got to move on, and please move on beyond the baby in the cradle 
it has to be about that because of the incarnation. And we have to have the incarnation because there, listen, there is no one else who could bear the weight for the punishment of our sin other than someone who was fully God and someone who was fully man. And we will remember the cross at the end of this time with the Lord's Supper, but we need to go back and think about the significance of the cross. What what was happening? Just like with the cradle, there was a transaction that, that took place. Well, there was a transaction that took place on the cross. And I can't think of a a passage better to go to than Isaiah chapter 53. And I went back and read that entire passage and I thought, well, do I read it all? And I thought, no, but but I want you to see this. I, I know that you can look it up in your Bible and I hope that you will. But there needs to be a visual that we can see the words that express what was happening on the cross And so I'll just read some excerpts, two slides from this. Surely He, who's the He? Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God. One of the hardest concepts to overcome in the life of a humanist. That God the Father would actually punish His innocent Son. Smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. Kids, get this. He was crushed. Jesus, the little babe in the cradle, in the manger, grew up to be a man. And He was crushed for my iniquities, for your iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. Spiritually, we are thoroughly cleansed, and the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. And and all of us know this intellectually. We know this intellectually that we've got to move beyond the sentimental baby in the manger. Or all you're going to get is just the nice little soft things without edges of the Christmas story. And frankly, if that's all we're going to get, particularly on a Sunday morning, from a message from God's Word, we just need to go home and drink some wassail. I'm not even sure what wassail is. It just sounds good. Eat some Christmas pudding and be done with it. <laughs> and you know, to a great degree, that's what a lot of churches will end with. They'll never get to the cross They're sure not going to talk about sin. There are churches, huge churches in America, who this weekend will not remind their people that they have committed sin, that they have committed iniquities that somehow have to be dealt with. 
And the only way that they can be dealt with is that God became a man, that he came to earth and he grew and he died on Calvary's cross for sinners like you and me to be crushed so that the iniquity of us all could be laid upon him. I hope nobody in this room, I'm sure that there are people around that might hear this kind of message and say, Pastor, you are really pessimistic about human nature. And I will say with a smile on my face, because I love you enough to tell you this, no, I am a realist about human nature. By the way, I didn't come up with it because I'm as good as about excusing myself as any one of you in this room. But the Bible is what reveals us, that we do need a Redeemer, that what you just read out of Isaiah is not, as Brian McLaren says, or Stephen Chalk, some great theologians. Put a quote around the greats. They're famous. Cosmic child abuse? God wouldn't do that. He did. God wouldn't force His Son to be that sacrifice. Well, you're right about that because He didn't have to. Forget, we live in a culture of everybody's a victim. And so Jesus was just a victim of a vindictive father. You don't want to follow a religion like that. Jesus said, I was born for this. That's the reason I became a man, the second person of the Trinity, that I took on human flesh. And he said it over and over, and one of the best places was in John chapter 10. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. This was a, okay kids, I expect you to write these big words down and then ask your parents about them when you get home, your grandparents particularly, because they'll know. His death was a voluntary, atoning, propitiatory, sufficient sacrifice. And the ransom price was his blood. And it takes care of all your iniquity. It takes care of all. Peter says it like this, knowing that you were ransomed. How, how can people sit in church and listen to the gospel rightly preached and know that we have been ransomed from a life that, that looks all of the... the, the the baubles and the trinkets of this life, do you know, biblically, and this is God speaking, it's futility if that's all you live for. And when you get to the end, you ain't got much if that's all you live for. But the Christmas message is knowing that we were ransomed from the futile ways that we inherited from our forefathers that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, by the way, not with perishable things. We're not ransomed with stuff. 
perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus like a lamb without blemish or without spot. And by the way, that's for all classes of people. That's for all people. In the context, it's for young and it's for old. And it's for men and it's for women. It's for slave and it's for free. All people without distinction. So if your posture is going to be today and tomorrow, worship for the the babe who came in the manger, what's it going to be for the Christ who died on the cross? What should your posture be? What what should your posture be right now? You're sitting, that's your, your physical posture, but what should your posture be in your heart? Receptive. Do you know there's a reason why the Bible says today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart? And a heart can get harder and harder and harder. Today, if, you, if, if there's that inkling of hearing the voice of God drawing you today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. That's for now. And Why is that so important? If your posture is worship for the Christ in the cradle, and if your posture is receptive for Jesus dying on the cross for our iniquities, It's important because the work of Christ is not over. And I have to tell you, studying this for the last week or so, I I, I just have to confess I've really not included this as much as I should have in the whole message about Christmas. And in the whole reality of why you need to be receptive right now. By the way, if you just wandered in here and you're, you, you came in, you saw the word Baptist out there, and maybe you're kind of, you might be thinking hearing this, that we're an old school Baptist church where we're going to lock the doors, turn up the heat hotter than it already is, Okay. And we're going to sing 50 verses of just as I am? No. No, that's outward. That's outward stuff. If the Holy Spirit is taking His Word and He's he's pulling at your heart, then just be receptive. Because there's going to come a time when you're up. Listen, listen. When your opportunity to be receptive is going to be no more. No mas. The third event that we look forward to is yet another appearing, another epiphany. Liturgical calendar calls it that, the epiphany, the appearing of Christ, of our great Savior. Now, I love Hebrews 9, 27, and 28. I'm fond of quoting, and maybe you are too, the first part of it, but not really getting to the second part, which we need because it's all of this. Everything we're talking about today is contained right here. Number one, it's appointed for every man. Now, that is a generic term, every man and woman. How many of you in this audience are male or female? 
I know when you're younger, you think you're bulletproof, you think you'll never die. There is going to come a time, if Jesus doesn't come back, in which it, you have an appointment. I've said this over and over again. You have an appointment, and you will keep that appointment. To die once, and then after that comes the judgment. What do you do about that? Here's what you do about that. You be receptive to the next statement. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. The cross. But just be aware, He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He's already done that. He's going to bring everything to a divine conclusion, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. And as I read that, I thought, oh Lord, am I eagerly waiting for Him? I I celebrate at Christmas, I celebrate His divine entrance into the world and His, His crucifixion and on the cross, His burial, His resurrection. But am I eagerly waiting? And then I started thinking, how many of the people in Heritage, how many of the people who are here visiting with your family or whatever the case may be or listening at home, are you eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? And I had to say, Lord, I I don't think about it very much. I, I do think about it, but do I think about it every day? I ought to. And so should you. You see, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next several hours will hold. But we do know with certainty that Jesus Christ, our He's called here our great God. If you ever, if somebody says Jesus is not God, take them to Titus chapter 2 and say it says it right here. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. God's Word calls Him our great God and Savior. And He's coming back. This is what what you might call a real-time event. One more thing. There is no escape. But I would just ask, ask this. Who would want to escape that? The appearing of our Lord and Savior will fulfill our greatest hope for those of us who know Him, and it will generate the greatest terror for those who don't. All right, we're going to run through some Scripture because I just want you to see what God and His Word says about the returning of the Lord. I don't want to fight about your millennial view I have mine. You have your right to be wrong. (laughs) The nuances and the details, pre, post, ah. If you don't know what that means, ask Jonathan. He's an expert on this stuff. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Jesus is coming back. 
And if we disagree about everything else, see, I'm afraid that some of what's going on right now with what's happening in the Middle East is that people are fussing and fighting over a particular eschatological view, and they're not really homing in on the fact that Jesus is coming again. In my lifetime, in your lifetime, I don't know. Hal Lindsey, back in 1970, I've got the late great planet Earth. On my shelf, probably should have thrown that away a long time ago. But I've got, and I looked it up, and he says, hey, a generation, 40 years. So he predicted, and there were people in 1988 who were selling everything because Jesus was coming back in 1988. Anybody around, and you remember those days? Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a whole new batch that they've expanded the meaning of gender. I don't know. And again, you you can get so lost in the maze of those kinds of things that you don't see the amazing truth that Jesus really is coming back. Let let me show you some things that, that we know about His coming. His first coming, limited. Shepherds, how many? 20, 30, I don't know, probably fewer than that. Relatively quiet until the angelic choir kicked in. I don't know how many, it was a myriad of angels, so it, it's probably, but it was localized. When Jesus comes again, no question. Do you know that when Jesus comes again, every eye will see him? Why do I think that? Well, because the Bible says it, no matter what our eschatological view, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, let it be. Going to be no question, every eye, it's going to be a worldwide, it's going to be a cosmic event that he is returning. Not only that, first time he came, rather quiet, subdued, next time he comes, anything but. If you go to the various places we preached through First and Second Thessalonians a while back, I loved just going there and going back and reminding myself, because look what some of the things that are going to happen. So when I hear that Jesus is kind of sneaking in, I, you know, I, I, I just can't, I can't find that any place in Scripture. Least of all in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. How loud is the Lord's cry of command? Hey, if, if Jesus spoke in a normal tone of voice and said, Lazarus, come forth, what in the world is going to happen when he comes and gives a cry of command? Not only that, the voice of an archangel. Do you want to be around for that? That's a loaded question. If you're a believer, yes. That that is going to be some exciting day. If you're not a believer, not so much. You're going to to hear these things. You're going to see Jesus coming on the clouds. Voice of the archangel, sound of the trumpet of God. Kevin, you did a great job up here on your trumpet. nothing in comparison with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Hello? Don't you? Yeah. I, I've wondered how loud that's going to be. All of the people from all of the ages since Christ and their bodies are, are there and they're in the grave or maybe in the ocean or maybe they were burned or whatever and he is going to assemble these molecules of our fleshly bodies. They're going to be joined with our spirits. Boom. I don't think that's going to be a quiet event with graves all over the world opening up at a single moment. You want more? Doesn't matter, you're going to get more. Listen, this is just really incredible. Why don't we talk about the second coming more? God considers it just, this is what's going to happen on that day. Now, we, again, you may space this out, but on that day, the day that He comes, He's going to consider it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, that's believers, as well, and grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Oh, excuse me, that's not believers, that's those who afflict believers. And then to relieve us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, here's some other noisy stuff, with His mighty angels in flaming fire when He comes on that day. Let me run through these, I've got several more. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and being gathered together with Him, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Tribulation stuff. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, and the lawless not one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of His mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. So I've given you some of the dynamics around it. Now let's see what, what it's going to look like. John has a vision. He has a revelation. He's looking forward to that time. Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. I'm, again, I'm doing a little bit of uh, editing here just to pull out the, the, the parts we need to see today. A white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. I started reading that last week, and I thought back to one of my favorite movies. I don't watch movies more than once normally. I've, I've watched this several times, Lord of the Rings. And in the second one, where Aragorn is just, they're, they're, they're getting beat up. The orcs are all over him. No help. And he looks up. And they're clothed in white. Now, by the way, don't compare Gandalf with Jesus. I mean, it just was a fleeting thought, and I thought, this kind of reminds me. And he looks up, and there's Gandalf. And Aragorn exclaims, and then they start riding down the hill, and what happens? The, the, the sunlight blinds the orcs, and they win the battle, and blah, blah, blah. That's a movie. This, this, is re- this is really going to happen. So the one sitting on that white horse, I don't know his name, I, I, the horse's name. It was Shadow Facts in the movie. But the one sitting on the white horse has a name. His name is Faithful and True. This stuff that I'm telling you comes from the one who is faithful and true. You might dismiss it, 
It's just another little Christmas sermon. This is coming from the one whose name is faithful and true and in righteousness. See, when he came as a baby, he came as a helpless little baby, dependent. When he comes back, he's going to wage war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, crowns. He had his name written that no one knows, but he himself, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name of which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, who is that? Well, I like to think that's us coming back. Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So what should your posture be for this? If the cradle, your posture ought to be worship. If the cross, your your posture ought to be expectancy and being receptive, your posture for this should be in hopefulness. Only if you're a believer. Here's what I mean by that, okay? If If you're on a dark road in the middle of the night and it's raining, you're on that dark road and you see police lights behind you flashing. What goes through your mind? Well, it all depends on what you're doing on that dark road in the middle of the night. If you've just robbed a house, then those lights flashing mean judgment, punishment. That's your worst nightmare. But if you're sitting there on the side of the road and it's raining and you've got a flat tire and you don't have a tire iron to change the flat tire, those red and blue lights are the most welcome sight. So when the Lord Jesus comes back, and I hope that you'll think about this tomorrow, think about do I eagerly await His return? Do I say with the Apostle Paul, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly? And do I see His coming as a sense of relief from my enemies, relief from the struggle with sin so often that I have? Or will I, because I rejected that part about Jesus on the cross, see His coming with terror? And by the way, at that point, it's going to be too late. Two more verses, then we'll move into taking the Lord's Supper. I was reading, finishing up our one-year plan Bible reading. By the way, those new plans are coming out, so make sure you, you get them. And it's, it's really a, a, a neat thing to do. And so I was reading in Revelation 7, uh, 16 last week. And I saw this. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl. This is during the tribulation on earth and harmful and painful sores. And here's why why I'm sharing this at the very last. You'll hear it in a minute. These are the people who are not saved, obviously. 
How do we know it? It says they bore his mark and they worshiped his image. Those two go together. People have asked me, well, can I get the mark of the beast without knowing it? No, you're a worshiper of the beast, and that's why you've got the mark. They cursed the name of God. See, what will happen on that day is not that people will say, oh, gee, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. I want to change my mind. No. You'll continue in the same frame of mind on that day as you've had all along. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. But there are some who are blessed during the tribulation. You know who those are? Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake. That doesn't just mean staying awake during my sermon. I think you all have done pretty well. I've seen a few of you. Not all. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean here today. It means stay awake spiritually. Clothed? What does that mean? Keeping his garments on. You've got to have the garments, the clothing of the righteousness of Christ. And stay awake for his, we hope, soon appearing. Father, I thank you for the reality of your word, and uh, I thank you that it speaks to us at all seasons of life. I thank you that it, it, it speaks particularly to me at this Christmas season. And I, I just, I, Lord, I just wish I could, I could express it better, more clear. But God, what I can't do, you can. So I pray that you would take the truth of this message, that for those of us who know you, we would be filled with a sense of expectancy at your coming and be thrilled because you, you will be our help and our deliverer finally. I pray if there is anyone here today who is not truly prepared, I pray that today would be the day that they realize that their iniquities are great, their sins are great before you, a holy God, but you sent your son Jesus to pay the price, the penalty for all of those iniquities and that through faith in the Lord Jesus, those sins can be erased, can be removed. We come into a new relationship with you. You're born again. So, Father, I pray now that as we transition into our time of taking the Lord's Supper, that you would help us to remember uh, what you have given to us in this beautiful symbol and seal it to our hearts as we take it. I thank you for that, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.